Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's the primary text we're going to be using this morning. If you're visiting Christ Church, uh, my name is Mark, and I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here at the church. We're glad you joined us on Resurrection Sunday, and uh, let me tell you a little bit about Christ Church right up front. Uh, our goal is not to get you to come to this church over other churches. What we want to do is inspire each and every person to pursue Jesus on their own, and to be a part of a church that helps them do that, to find out who he is. As Maggie explained a little bit earlier, we are in a series that we began in November called The Gospel. We're taking the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're synchronizing them together to come up with the the best we can, the chronological order of the life of Jesus, looking at all the verses and all of our understanding of him. Because we believe that Jesus is someone worth pursuing. And learning more about him and discovering who he was and why he did what he did is our journey here as a church. And uh, we hope that uh, you would join us or be inspired to find a church that you can make these same kind of pursuits uh, as we grow to to understand this man that we celebrate today. I was looking through a a recipe or was led to look through an old recipe book and there was a recipe for rabbit stew. And I thought, interesting. And as I saw the order of the, you know, the order of things you needed to do, the very first thing, the first thing they tell you to do when you want to make rabbit stew is catch a rabbit. I thought that was profound. That was really deep. And that's my level of profundity. So uh, I realized you got to get first things first, right? Because if you don't get first things first, you can follow the recipe. If you don't have the main ingredient you're not going to get what you're looking for. Figuring out the point of Jesus is what this church is going to be about for the next few months. As we continue to ask, what is the gospel? What does the word gospel mean? And in our world today, the word gospel is something church people use. It's not something that's used outside in the, in the world that exists beyond uh, church buildings. But the word gospel actually means good news. It's the good news about Jesus. And in this series of studying the good news about who Jesus Christ is, Uh, We want to answer questions that need answered. Uh, We want to be freed to obey and follow uh, with guilt-free and shame-free living. And we want to draw near to God through Jesus, which Jesus tells us we can do. So as we pursue this, this is what we're looking for, because the Bible, I believe, has been misunderstood. For a lot of people, it's a rule book, what you should and shouldn't do to stay out of trouble. Or it's a book of moral stories that helps you live a better life than you would on your own. Or, Or maybe even to some people, it's a history book that talks about a people that are long forgotten in a day that used to be. But I want to tell you today that we don't believe that here. We believe in this day of celebration, the Bible is the story of King Jesus, who comes on behalf of God to reestablish God's kingdom and to be the Lord over everything God created, including mankind. But it's not a lordship that dominates by power and threat. It's a lordship that dominates by the power of the resurrection which is what we celebrate today. The one piece of evidence about Jesus the world cannot take from us. It's the most powerful truth that we'll know. You see, the gospel is about Jesus. You gotta catch the rabbit first. When we figure out who Jesus is, everything else falls in order. And he even told us that's the way it would be. For the gospel is about Jesus, God on earth. It's about Jesus who came to reestablish God's fulfilled kingdom here. Not another day, but this day about Jesus who suffered for all mankind, about Jesus who substituted his life for our penalty. 
It's about Jesus who was raised to life on the third day, and it's about Jesus who will reign over all things that are lost and restore everything taken from God. You see, the point of this morning in our day of celebration is that there is nothing more important in life than to personally experience the power of the gospel for yourself. You see, we just don't want to give you information about Jesus. We want to help you experience him. And each and every person that's here today has a deep down desire, whether you're hiding it or not, a deep down desire to figure out what this is all about. Not church, but life. So if there's nothing more important than to personally experience the power of the gospel, what does that mean for Easter 2017 in the middle of nowhere, unusable farmland out in Orinoco, Missouri? What difference does it make? This is the question we want to ask and answer today. The Apostle Paul wrote to a church in a town called Corinth, and he gave them a very clear explanation of what the gospel is. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 of the 15th chapter in that first letter to that church. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Paul is about to define the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and he tells the people to hold firmly to it. Of all the things going on in the world, of all the things happening around us, Paul said the most important thing is to get the first things first, to catch the rabbit, and then the recipe will make sense. It'll all come together. What I'm going to do this morning is show you three things from 1 Corinthians 15 on our day of celebration. I want to show you three things. The first one is the most important. And the other two are subsequently necessary and help us to live out the first. So let's look at the first one. The gospel raises us from fragmented to focused. The the power of the gospel, as Paul delivers it to us, allows us to go from being people that are fragmented, frazzled, and just all over the map to people that can focus on the most important things. Look at verse 2 again. By this gospel, by this good news of Jesus, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Do you ever feel like life's a game and no one explained the rules? Have you ever had a moment in your life where you thought you were doing the very best possible and then life did something different and culture did something different and people did something different and the next thing you know, you're left holding something that you shouldn't have ever held at all? That you believe that there was power in something? You're, you're juggling all of these balls and the world throws you a new one every day saying, no, now this is important. Now this is important. Now this is important. And if you drop any of them, then you're, you're probably going to ruin your existence. Has, am I the only person in the room who sometimes feels like the rules get changed all the time and I never knew what they were to start with? You see, this is the world we're living in. And what you're going to expect me to say, I'm going to say. What you're going to expect a preacher to say is that unless Jesus becomes the only ball that you juggle, the only plate that you spin, if he doesn't become the center of your existence, that your life is guessing instead of knowing. You see, we're trying to complete the recipe without the main ingredient. And I'm going to be unashamed to tell you that. Chad Ragsdale, who attends here and is a professor at Ozark Christian recently in a podcast, said something uh, that I enjoyed and made me think quite a bit in light of this sermon. He says, what makes life uniquely challenging in 2017 is disintegration. Not like things are going to start crumbling and molecularly falling apart. It means disintegration. We have nothing holding us together. 
So every ball that's thrown at us, we're trying to juggle. We're trying to grab it. The world says you need more money. Then we go after more money. The world needs, says you need fame. We go after fame. The world says you need satisfaction. We go after satisfaction. We're constantly trying to juggle these balls and we're not good at it to start with. And then they're throwing more and more at us and we don't even know what's important. I look at my life and think, how many times have I been fractured and fragmented by trying to pursue things? I remember when I was a, a little kid and I thought, man, as soon as I can get some money, since I get my own coin, I don't have to ask mom and dad. That's going to be the ticket. It wasn't. Then I needed to get a job, and I wanted a cool job, so I didn't get one. I got McDonald's. But anyway, I got a job. And I thought, maybe if I have a job, that'll be it. And then at 15, I get my driver's license. Then at 16, I needed to get a car. And at 17, I needed to get that one girl. And, and you, you try your best to get all these things because you think if you get these things, if you get this status, if you get this and this and this, that it's all going to make sense to your life. What I found out is everything I said I needed was going to need to be replaced one day. And everything I thought was so essential proved to be I could really live without it. And when I stopped having it in my world, I was fine. We were always pursuing more and pursuing more and pursuing more. And we don't even know what's important. We just follow what other people do. And I don't want to make fun of anybody today, but I want you to understand on the day of the resurrection celebration, we must understand that the most important thing we can see, the most important thing we can know is beyond us. It has to be centered on something outside of us. Dr. David uh, Seaman was a theologian and a preacher, and he tells a wonderful story. When he was in Africa, he met a, a man who had become a Christian from one of the tribes. And some of the friends of this man asked him, why have you become a Christian? And his response was beautiful. The man said, suppose you were going down the road and suddenly the road forked in two directions, and you didn't know which way to go. And there at the fork in the road were two men, One is dead and one is alive. Which one would you ask for the directions? And on this day, church, we gather in this place on this Sunday to tell you at the fork in the road stands a man who once was dead and now is alive. And every other religious leader is dead and remains dead. Who are you going to ask for directions from? The one who has been where you're going? The one who has crossed through the portal of death and shows you where life is? Or the one who suggests there may be another ball that you need to juggle? I think all of us know the profound answer to that is there is nothing more important in life than to personally experience the good news of Jesus and the power that comes from the resurrection. See, Paul is telling us that not everything is equally important. And the older we get, whether you... No matter what your age is, the older you get, you'll look back on your life, won't you? And laugh at some of the things you thought you had to have that you're doing just fine without now. In fact, aren't our garages full of them? And our storage bins? Only America do we have the storage bins. But we have the storage bins and we have the garages and we have the, all of this stuff. And we just had to have it. Now we don't have to have it at all. So we put it away in case we might need it again one other day. We stand at the fork in the road. And Paul says, let me tell you what's of first importance. And that is that the man standing there showing us the way to follow him is the one who's gone where none of us have ever gone before and he survived. You see, the truth about the resurrected Lord makes a difference between life and death, purpose and meaninglessness, love and hate, living a lie or living the truth. See, Jesus is saying, if you put me first... And this is the beautiful part of Jesus. This is the part that makes me so happy to be his follower. He could come down and dominate us and say, put me first or I will destroy you, but he doesn't. He says, put me first because I'll love you. And no possession, no acclaim, no job, no other person can love you like Jesus loves you, unconditionally and for eternity. He says, if you put me first, 
There's a blessing in your life you'll never get anywhere else. He doesn't dominate us. He loves us into following him. And through the power of the empty tomb, we go from fractured and fragmented and disintegrated to focused, solidified, and integrated on the power of a man who has displayed to us, no matter what you think of his teachings, no matter what you think of his miracles, no matter what you think of the virgin birth, no matter what you think of all the stuff the world wants to mock and ridicule Christianity for, I'll tell you this, as long as the tomb is empty, he's the man. If he's dead, he's just the man. But the gospel is about King Jesus, who came to reestablish God's kingdom on earth, and to reign over all that belongs to God, to restore everything back. So how do you know he's worth dropping all the other balls and letting all the other plates drop to the ground and shatter? Because he is the one who stands at the crossroad and says, follow me and I'll bring you into life. And when we understand that our life is to be focused on him, because his promise was, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and then he promises, and all these other things that you think, All these other things you fear doing without. All these other satisfactions that you're fearful you might miss out on. He says, I will give you better. I will give you greater. I will give you more fulfillment. And I truly believe that what Jesus gives us will never ask to return. We'll hold on to it firmly. Paul says so that we don't believe in vain. And if we get this first point right, from fractured to focused, from fragmented to focused, we get that right, then the second and third point of this morning are blessings. Let's look at verses three and four. For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Remember, what are the scriptures? Is it a book of morals? Is it a a rule book? Is it an ancient history of a people long forgotten? No, it's the story of King Jesus. And Paul says the scriptures have been telling us from the very beginning that these things would occur. And when they occurred, they were evidence. And when the tomb was empty, it was the final evidence of exactly who Jesus Christ was. So because of that, the gospel raises us from judged to forgiven. It takes us from knowing what we've done to it being unknown by God, removed as far as the east is from the west. You see, sin is not insignificant. We make fun of people who say that sin is wrong. I mean, we live in a day and age, you can't tell anybody that their behavior is inappropriate. You could lose your job, you could lose friends, you could lose a lot of things in this world. But I want you to understand that the wrath of God shown on Friday, on the cross, the punishment that Jesus took, the wrath of God, the earthquake, the world shook, And God turned his back on the sin on Jesus as the scriptures said he would. All the fulfillments of the prophecy, all of this came into being because sin is significant and God had to deal with it. He couldn't ignore it. And so the wrath of God shown to Jesus that Friday tells us how important our understanding of what our sin has done should be. Now, for most of us, we have two responses to sin. And I have these all the time. And you may notice your trend as well. The first is denial. This is where we simply say, I'm fine, it's not a big deal, don't worry about it, I'll get it figured out. Over time, I'll figure out a way to get around it. I'll just make it, I'll do, I'll do better than I've ever done and they'll forget I've ever done bad. Or I'll just do more and more and more good so that they won't compare. I mean, I'll have so many more good marks and I will bad marks that he'll have to let me in based on my sense of justice. It's denial. And the other is despair. This is when people go, yeah, 
I did it and I destroyed everything and why bother? Why live? Why go on? There's nothing I can do. I, there's no way I win this game. I'm too far down. I can't come back. But I want to tell you that there's a third option that the resurrection of Jesus offers us and it's trust. He said, I've come to love. I've come to serve. I've, I've come to trade my life for yours. I've come to wash your sins away. I've come to take your blood-stained hands and make them as pure as the first day you were born. I'm going to give my life for yours. If you will follow after me, if you will serve me as I'm serving you, then I will blot away all your transgressions, all of your guilt, all of your shame. Corey ten Boom, who was a Holocaust survivor and a preacher of the gospel, was an amazing uh, lady. She used a powerful illustration in my mind. She said, in a forest fire, there's only one place where the fire cannot reach. It's the place where the fire has already burned itself out. In other words, a fire can't go back and burn over ground that it's burned everything up with. And her equation was that Calvary, the place of Jesus' death on Friday of Passion Week, is the place where the fire of God's judgment against sin burned itself out completely. It is there that we are safe from it ever touching us again. What a beautiful word picture. That when we go to the foot of the cross, our sins were burned away there by the wrath of God on Jesus. He took our penalty and they were removed from us. And unless you're unwilling to take your sins to the cross and offer them to the man on the cross who would receive them, then there is this fear of judgment coming upon us one day that what we've hidden or tried to hide will be made known and we will have to answer for it. And deep down inside, whether a person's a believer or an unbeliever, they know in their heart that they're going to have to answer one day, somehow, some way, for the choices they've made. And isn't that a scary thought? It is for me. Knowing what I've done that people know is hard enough, but knowing what I've done that nobody knows threatens my peace, it threatens my joy until I take it to the cross. At which point Jesus said, I want you to know that I didn't just die on the cross so you'd feel better about yourself. I died on the cross and I came out of the tomb to show you that I have the power over this as well. Romans 4.25, God gave Jesus to die for our sins and he raised him to life so that we would be made acceptable to God. Powerful term. Not just forgiven, that he provided the payment and the power. He took care of our past and he guaranteed our future so that we can live in the present, understanding that the empty tomb is not just a historic moment that was good for him. If one of you came up to me and said, you wouldn't believe it, I've never done this before, but I bought a lottery ticket on Friday and I won $20 million, I wouldn't have much joy. I'd be happy for you. But if you came to me and said, I bought the ticket and I won, but I was going to give it to you anyway, so here you go, I would have joy. Do you understand the difference? (laughs) If I say to you, Jesus came out of the tomb, and you're like, well, good for him. But if I say he came out of the tomb so you can come out of yours, that's giving me the lottery ticket. And that's what the resurrection celebration needs to be. Not only the payment of our sin, but the power to never let it burn us again. You see, in verse 17 of chapter 15, Paul says, unless Christ was raised to life, you are still living in your sins. Unless he comes out of the tomb, this is all nonsense. All of our hope, all of our sacrifices, all of our incense, all of our our burned animals, all of our times in worship, all of the money we give, all the messages we share, none of that matters if the tomb is full. But church, it's not. 
it's empty. And now there's meaning and focus and there's forgiveness. Before Jesus came out of the tomb, all I could do was hope I wouldn't die. That's our only hope. Without Jesus, you better live forever. But with Jesus, you can die at any time. And you'll still live forever. You see, in verse 20, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, but Christ has been raised to life. He says, if he hasn't, we're wasting our time. Oh, but he has. From fragmented to focused and from judged to forgiven, and the gospel raises us from alienated to friended. I know friended's not a word. It's a holiday, forgive me. But it goes from being someone that couldn't look God in the eyes to someone who Jesus says, I I don't call you my servants, I call you my friend. Look at verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 15. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Church, oh, I pray we awaken today. Because Christianity is not just to get through. You've already gotten through. By the power of Jesus Christ, your future in him is guaranteed. So begin to live like it. Begin to live now in the power of the hope of the gospel and and quit living in the hope I make it. Because the tomb is empty, Jesus said, you'll make it. And I'm going to show you the way if you follow me. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul wrote to another church. And he wrote these encouraging words. We read them together this morning at the beginning of our time together. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that we, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Whether you're dead or alive, those that have preceded us in faith... And those who are still living today who have not bought into Jesus, but one day will become awakened to his power and his glory. Listen to what Paul says. That we will live with him. No more separation. In Genesis 3, when the garden scene happened and Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they were cast from his presence and the garden was closed and the God began working a way to get back to them. But their choices had separated themselves from him. In that moment, God began the plan in Genesis 3 of sending Jesus. And the ultimate goal of the resurrection was to show us that there is nothing we can do that he can't overpower. There's no choice we make that he's not bigger than. There's no threat on your life. There's no challenge to your existence. There's no thought that's so big and so vast that God has not already thought it and overcome it through Jesus Christ. He is the gospel. It's what the story of all scripture is about so that we might live with him. In John chapter 5, Jesus said, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives him life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Notice this. Jesus doesn't begrudgingly invite you to follow him so he can love you and serve you more. He invites you to follow him because it's his pleasure. What he went through this weekend, what Good Friday celebrates, which is the strangest thing we Christians do, we celebrate the death of our founder, the death of our savior, the death of our king, What a weird group of people we are. I've always thought Christians are weird for two reasons. Every time we get together, we sing. That's weird. I mean, it's okay to admit it. It's weird. We don't go to Little League practice and open with two songs. You just practice. Yet people gather together and we sing. Why? Because music moves our souls, opens our minds, and allows us to express beautiful things that God's given us. And the second thing we do is we hold the crosses up. And we wear crosses, and I like it. As weird as it is, I'd rather be weird and be countercultural because the cross is our glory. It showed that Jesus was willing, that Jesus was able, that it was his good pleasure. 
You see, Easter isn't just about our sins being forgiven. And Easter isn't just about an empty tomb. Easter will always be about each of us walking out of our own tomb. By the power of Christ, each one of us having the opportunity to defeat death with the power of Jesus rather than our own power. Otherwise, you and I are practicing sin management for the rest of our existence. And Jesus says, you don't have to. I don't call you my servant. I call you my friend. In fact, Paul would go on in several of his letters to the early churches. He would say, and not only has God called you his friend, he's adopted you as his sons and daughters. He's brought you into his home with every promise that comes with that. You see, the real question is that we have to answer today. If I'm going to follow this Jesus, if I, if I come to the fork in the road and I don't know which way to take, and I've got dead leaders who I'm reading their books about what they used to do, or I'm talking to the living Jesus, and I'm standing in the presence of a man who was dead and now is alive, who am I going to follow? But if I'm going to follow him, I have to answer two questions that each one of us struggle with. Is God powerful enough to fulfill his promises? And is he good enough to fulfill his promises? Is he powerful enough and is he good enough? And I'll give you my answer today. The answer is he is. You see, he's powerful enough because he overcame death. The fact that Jesus is resurrected shows that he has the power over the things we fear the most. And the second thing, is he good? Absolutely, because he invites us into the blood of Jesus Christ so we can walk out of our own tomb. Is he powerful enough, church? He is. Is he good enough, church? He is. That's why we celebrate in the uniquest of ways of celebrating the weekend they killed him. Because by killing him, it gave us life. Galatians 2.20. Paul would write to another church. Notice the theme of the gospel's influence on Paul. He said, The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I live my life. I don't wait till I die. I don't wait for this cartoonish picture of heaven one day. I need you to understand this. Because the tomb is empty, heaven started the day the stone rolled away. Heaven began because God began to get on earth what he himself deserved. There is nothing more important in life than to personally experience the power of the gospel. We don't want you to understand it. We want you to step beyond it and trust it. You can begin to live today knowing that his tomb is empty and so will mine. Because of my belief in him, I have nothing to fear. The day I meet God, I won't cower. I won't fall on my face before him. Not because I'm proud, because he's going to look at me and he's going to say, my son. And he's going to look at you and he's going to say, my daughter. And he's going to look at all of our weak attempts to worship and honor him. And he's going to say, yeah, it was cute. But I loved you while you were a sinner. I, I want you to live in my love. I want you to live in my hope. The tomb is empty, which means I'm going to die, but not for long. And then when it's over, I'm going to walk into the presence of my Jesus. Every question I have is going to be answered. And I get to spend eternity with the one who loved me before I even understood what love was. You see, you got to get, you got to catch the rabbit if you want to eat the stew. We got to keep this central. The world's going to keep throwing you balls. Keep juggling these. These are important. If you don't have these, you're not anybody. Let them drop. Because the fact that they fall on the ground and are fragile and shatter proves they don't last. But even those of us who have held Jesus in our hands and we've dropped him, did you notice he was okay? He got right up. 
offered himself back to us again with the hope to, for us to know he's eternal. Everything else is temporary. The tomb is empty. Jesus is our hope. He's the one we worship. He changes us from fragmented to focused. He changes us from judged and we knew we deserved it to forgiven and we know we don't. And he's also taken us from being alienated to calling us his children. The cross took away our sins. The resurrection gave us life. And we live for him. The most important, the first thing of importance, the reason we celebrate the resurrection. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.